after pushing through the crowds at the must-see sites in Rome and Venice, Tuscany is always a good idea. From the home of the Renaissance in Florence to the hill towns and farm stays you'll find throughout the region, Tuscany is a great way to savor the essence of Italy. Anna Piperato was raised in Pennsylvania, and Karen Kibbe comes from Oregon. But now they make their homes in Siena and Livorno, and they specialize in showing visitors around the region. They're here to help you at 877-333-RICK. Karen and Anna, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thank you so much. Buongiorno. So you both sound like you love Tuscany. You end up living there. If you were going to brag about Tuscany, how is it distinct from other parts of Italy? Karen. I think part of the beauty of Tuscany is the history and the towns and the architecture. And most people know about our most famous residents like Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. But what a lot of people don't know is that each village and each town has its own distinct personality, foods that we eat and we don't eat anywhere else in the, in the region, different accents. Every place you go, they have different accents. And so we can actually tell each other apart who's a Pisan, who's a Livornese, who's a Florentine, who's a Sienese, just by how people talk. You know, and just sitting here at the table with you guys, I can just see the fun you have in acknowledging and celebrating the cultural differences and the, the rich heritage combined in this relatively small piece of land. And even within Tuscany, you've got these, you know, the pride of this town and the pride of that town. Anna, you live in Siena. Uh, how, yes. how is Siena distinct and what, what is Siena proud of? Well, Siena is one of the proudest towns I've ever come across. And of course, it's most famous for its, its Palio race. And so within the walls of Siena, we have 17 distinct neighborhoods called Contrade. So uh -huh. they run in the Palio twice a year. And it's just the best example of civic pride, I think, uh, that I've ever witnessed. So, Anna, what is the Palio? The Palio is a race that has been going on in Siena since the 13th century at least, and it has evolved over the centuries, but it basically essentially remains the same. It's the world's longest continuous running horse race. It happens twice, sometimes three times a year. In the city center of Siena, there are horses, there is pandemonium, there is passion, and it's well worth visiting. And all of this commotion and craziness and thousands of people gathering together, and how long does the race last? <laughs> A minute and 15, 30 seconds, something like that. So 90 like that. seconds. 90 seconds. But the party is before and after. Yes. And you feel that when you go there. And oh, when, you, yes. when you say civic pride, it's important to remember that the notion of Italy is, is relatively new. 150 years ago, there was no Italy. And in the Middle Ages, there was all these little competing city-states. And there's a huge historic rivalry between Florence and Siena. And you feel that in many ways. Uh, Karen, how do you feel the competition between uh, city-states like Siena and Florence or Pisa or Livorno and Florence. So Livorno and Pisa <laughs> are historic enemies, and we actually have a saying that says, it's better to have a death in the family than a Pisan on your doorstep. So we oh take it a goodness. little seriously over there. <laughs> you know, Pisa really had a, a lot of enemies because I know in Florence they, they love to pee into the river because it goes down to, down to Pisa, right? <laughs> it's true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and the Sienese. What are the Sienese in Florence? Oh, well, my, oh my goodness. Gosh. Well, the first time I went there and I was still learning Italian, there was a soccer game. It was when briefly, briefly, Siena was in Series A and they were playing Florence. I didn't know this, but I was outside the church of San Domenico, the Basilica of San Domenico, to visit St. Catherine. And I hear chanting and I asked someone, what are they chanting? And she said, the Sienese fans are chanting to the Florentines, Ricordate Montaperti. Remember Montaperti. Remember that time in 1260 when we beat you. So don't make a Sienese person angry. They tend to hold a grudge. You know, these and this history 
It's a little bit playful, but it's a little bit real. It's centuries old. Yes. And when you travel around Tuscany, I find all these gorgeous hill towns, wonderful little squares, and a lot of them feel like uh, there's a little Florentine flavor. You see the Medici seal because it was in oh, yes. the little empire of the little uh, imperial power of Florence yes, in the Middle the Ages. Grand, the Grand Duchy of, of Tuscany that they founded in the in the 16th century. And what the Me- might you see? You're in you're in Montepulciano or something, and, and there's the... Am I allowed to say balls on the radio? Yeah, the balls. The balls. The Medici crest is balls. <laughs> they they took over someplace and slapped their balls on it. I mean, that's and just it is how the balls. it is. It, it, yes, somebody the, say the Medici pills. The Medici pills, the Medici oranges, the, Whatever the, the, it is. There's, the there's, globes there's, with the fleur de lis. There's orbs yes. up there, and orbs, it, it is... Good. A reminder of the rule of the yes. uh, the power of the Medici, and, fact, and that was Florence. That yes. was Florence. Yeah. But if I may, there was just one town that did not get taken over because Siena got taken over, Livorno did, but Luca did not, and they are still proud about that to this and day. And independent, independent, mm-hmm. independent Luca. Independent yes. in Tuscany means never with the Medici, the Florentine yes. flag flying, <laughs> and I just love that. In fact, there's a lot of big castles in Tuscany, and uh, what would be a, a castle that means a lot to you, Anna? Well, the castle of Monterigioni, because whenever I see it on the bus, it means I'm nearly home. And so Monterigioni is a little town, population something of 40 now, but it's basically a fortress to protect Siena from the Florentines. So between uh, about 20 minutes outside of Siena, as I say, the Sienese would keep watch and make sure those Florentines weren't trying to come and take over Siena, which they were doing from the 12th to the 16th century. And so this fort managed to keep those Florentines back until the 16th century when they finally surrendered. Wow. They were never taken over. But you can visit that today and you can walk the walls and dress up as a medieval knight. I love how they have festivals and different excuses to remember the history. And yes. in this case, you would have, I would imagine, a festival that takes you back to the middle, all the pageantry. Yes, you go into Monteregioni in the summer and you, you exchange your euros for these little silver and gold coins to buy your beer and your, you know, <laughs> your meat, and they have live theater and music and performers. So this is Monte Rigioni, yes, M-O-N-T-E-R-I-G-G-I-O-N-I, and it's a great castle that you can mm-hmm. put on your on your list if you're traveling in Tuscany. Karen, when you think of other ways to celebrate the heritage today as a traveler, what's an example that comes to mind to you in Tuscany? Even though it sounds a little bit cliche, I think I have to say the food. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm really researching out what people eat in specific places. And if you're traveling, especially in the fall, there are so many things that we call sagras, and they are little festivals in little towns, like San Miniato has the truffle festival. Personally, my all-time favorite is going to the island of Capraia, and we have a cuttlefish festival. Oh, now I was in a little town in Tuscany. I forget the name, but I'll never forget the festival. It was the Artichoke Festival. Oh, oh, oh where was that? I don't know. I can but, see the posters for it, but and, yes. And the <laughs> ladies were were sitting there with their baskets, cutting up the artichokes, and everybody was frying them up or however you do it. And it was so delicious. But what it made even more delicious was the jovial atmosphere. Everybody was in a great mood, and they were just gorging on. Artichokes. You can find it for the bruschetta. As soon as we have the olive harvest, there's plenty of bruschetta festivals, new wine festivals, uh, wild boar festivals. Porcini mushrooms. Porcini mushroom festivals. Now, the key word, you said sagra? Sagra. How do you spell that? S-A-G-R-A. Karen, you mentioned the importance of recognizing how the cuisine is tied to the heritage and the culture. Exactly. So important to eat both with the season and eat locally. You want to eat what the people want to feed you. Yes, I generally ask, especially if I'm outside of my town, uh, what's their specialty? What's in season? I let the waiters order for me and also the wine because most Italians are quite well versed in what wine goes with what food. Yeah. And I trust them. And 
I'm not that sophisticated of a palate, but when I get that good marriage, what do you call it? A, a pairing. A, a, there's a word about a, a, being a, a, a beautiful pairing of the food and the wine. You feel like you just go into orbit. And you can make quite a social faux pas if you pick the wrong wine. And do the wrong? <laughs> oh, my goodness, yeah. So, so go with the locals. And remember, when you have that printed menu and you have the little special sheet in there that's the daily specials, this is not the push list for tourists. This is what's fresh and what's a better value and what the locals are going to go for, and I'd highly recommend it. Me too. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Karen Kibbe and Anna Piperato. We're talking about the wonders of Tuscany. You know, when we're thinking about having fun in Tuscany, I, I think there's ways to kind of really connect with the nature, and oftentimes that gets overlooked. And a bike ride seems to me in, in a beautiful part of Tuscany would be a good idea. Is there any sort of best opportunity for biking in Tuscany? Well, if you're really serious about biking, in the fall, there's a thing called the Eroica in Gaiole and Chianti. So Gaiole, that's yes. G-A-I-O-L-E. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And so that's in the heart of Chianti, the Chianti Classico. And every year, people bring their bikes from the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they dress up in the outfit that matches their bike, and they go along the dirt roads, and they finish every day with a glass of wine. It's not a race. It's an experience. It sounds great. A glass of Chianti Classico in Chianti with your classic bike. After your long bike ride, you've earned it. And people come from all over the world to do that, but I would not in a million years say it's touristy. No. No, it's a joyful event for all. So many fun ways to distinguish your travels. Karen, you live on the coast, and I know everybody goes to the interior for the hill towns, but there's a lot of charm overlooked on the coast and on a little island off the coast. What are your tips for that? Anna and I were talking about this just before we came in here, that it's a bit unknown to most Americans, uh, but the coastal area of Tuscany is very important to the Tuscans. It's where everybody goes on the weekends, everybody goes to play, where all of the Americans are maybe up there in the Cinque Terre. All of the Tuscans are down on the island of Elba. Uh, And it's not always the most convenient place. I do have to say, you need to be a little bit of an intrepid traveler. You're going to need your rental car. You're going to need to take the ferry uh, from the town of Piombino to go over to Elba. But once you're over there, there's small villages, uh, hiking trails, wonderful restaurants, beautiful beaches, and it's full of Italians. Uh, There's not so many Americans. There's a few French, some Germans. The Dutch have discovered it. But there's wonderful swimming, nice. uh, wonderful wine, wonderful food. And I have to say, because it got some strange press, I could say, I visited for the first time this summer the island of Giglio, which mm. is a very short ferry ride from Porto Santo Stefano, which is a bit south or of the area your, of Elba. Or you could take your billion-dollar cruise ship there, couldn't you? Well, Just d- dock it on the rocks? Exactly. And I wasn't sure what I was going to find when I went there, because that was the only image I had really seen was of that the crab, crashed that, cruise ship. Yeah. And instead, uh, the little port area where you can dock your boat or where you can get to by a ferry is gorgeous. And on top of the hill, where I saw maybe the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in Tuscany, there is a 14th century village. Giglio. Giglio. And then, of course, uh, if you'd rather be exiled like Napoleon to a beautiful (laughs) island, you can go to Elba. Anna Piperato makes her home in Siena. And Karen Kibbe lives near the coast in Livorno. There are guides to the romantic towns and villages of Tuscany right now on Travel with Rick Steves. And Bill's calling from Livermore in California. Hi, Bill. Ciao, Rick. Uh, yeah, I was listening, and it's, it's really exciting for me. I have a trip planned. We're going to be driving from Rome up the coast, and I've done this several times up to my relatives up in Liguria. And this time I'm bringing my son and daughter-in-law and grandkids, and they're little four and eight, along with my wife, and we're looking at a staying along the coast there. One of the places I've looked at south of 
Livorno is wanting to get a little feedback on his Castiglione della Pescaia, which is uh, near Elba, too. And so I was kind of curious about the things to see and do around there, wondering whether Elba would be a good place to go. I know that the, they have these blue flag beaches, which uh, Castiglione apparently has one of the best beaches. And hmm. my grandkids live on Santa Cruz on the California coast, but they want to see beaches. Oh, so. you got a four-year-old and uh, eight-year-old. you got to count hand up some beaches. I know Karen lives in Livorno, right? Yes, yeah, so right. down where you're talking about, there's wonderful beaches down there, and there are lots of families that go on vacation in Castiglione. So I think your kids might even be able to find a few playmates there on the beach. And the water uh, is really what's different. So uh, the California coast the, tends to be a bit chilly. The water is the bigger yeah. waves and a bit colder. And so I think that your kids will really enjoy being able to be in some water nice. that's a, not quite bath water, but <laughs> a little more tepid, shall we say, than the Pacific. It's supposed to be very clean and, it uh, is. and clear. And, uh, and then there's some towns where, like, you know, you're talking about Elba. Is that worth a, would that be something young kids would enjoy, a boat ride out there and a day? I think so. You know, the boat ride doesn't take very long. If you're taking the ferry, it only takes about maybe a half an hour, 40 minutes to get from Piombino. And I think what you have to sort of decide, too, is if you're going to go to Elba, I would spend the night because, uh, uh, unfortunately, it is a bit costly to get your car out there. So you can leave your car in mm. uh, Piombino, take the ferry mm. over and just hang out around. The ferry goes to the main town. The, the ferry goes to the main town. But if you want to explore the island at all, I would definitely recommend staying two nights just to make the cost worth getting your car over. Okay, and you We're would need a car there. Yes. Well, there is some public transportation around the island. If, you do, if you're willing to do a little bit of research into it, you can make that happen. Okay. It just now takes a little extra effort. Like, um, you know, we, we've been to a couple of the Etruscan necropolises like Terraquina and Cerviteri. But um, I think there's some archaeological sites, and Grosseto looks like an interesting city as well. Are those worth, uh, are there places around? In terms of an an Etruscan site, I think I would, really close to Piombino is a small little town called Pupolonia that's up on a hill. And at the base of Pupolonia is the Gulf of Barati, which also has Mm -hmm. a beach. (laughs) <laughs> and it has Etruscan tombs. Okay, kids, we're going to go to the beach, but we're going to see the Etruscan tombs first. <laughs> exactly. All right, so that's this a good is compromise. And they are literally on the beach. Oh, that's cool. It is oh, the wow, one area where the Etruscans yeah. actually settled. So, what's on the name the of that again? Pupolonia for, is the name of the village. Okay, and then Bill, down your kids will base. have fun with that one. Pupolonia. Yeah, Pupolonia. Yeah. And oh, that sounds great. <laughs> the Gulf of Barati is the mm-hmm. name of the gulf where the water is, and you can get English tours. Bill, thanks oh, for your call. Great. Thank you so much. Ciao. Best wishes Ciao. on your trip. Martha's calling in from Shrewsbury in Massachusetts. Martha, have you been to Italy lately? Yes. Uh, and in fact, just last summer, had a wonderful experience in the hill town of Pienza and loved both the small town, but, but the experience which you introduced me to through your web of a Creciolo, which is a beautiful agriturismo something that I would never have thought about doing in Tuscany. So you met Isabella and Carlo? Yes, I did. We stayed um, in their agriturismo and had an experience unlike experiences of being in Florence um, and other bigger cities. It was an opportunity to be on their farm and be invited into their family Mm. and having meals and learning how to make their local pasta, peachy, and Mm. understanding how to taste olive oil and wine and experience their farm, which 
you only do normally when you have relatives, but they, as warm hosts, made all of their guests at the Agaritri smell part of their family. You know, when you said that, it just took me right back there. This is, I love staying in Agaritri's, and I love the cultural boot camp they put you through. I'm the last person that would ever personally make homemade pasta, and I did it there, and I loved it, and it was rolling those little peachy, <laughs> peachy pasta. And uh, Isabel was so gentle and caring and such a beautiful teacher of that culture. And it reminds me of the beauty of these agriturismo, staying on a family farm. And one of the great joys of my work when I'm updating my Tuscany guidebook or my Italy guidebook is getting a car, a rental car, and visiting all these farms. And what really blows me away, Martha, is every time I drop in on a farm, there's all these adventurous American travelers that are really immersed in the culture, making their own pasta, learning how to follow the dog and find the truffles, and, and just immersing themselves in the culture. It's almost like it's an advertising setup waiting for me to come, just letting me know how much fun it is to stay in an agriturismo. But this is an important part of your Tuscan experience, is staying on a farm, and a farm that rents rooms can call itself an agriturismo. And I understand that it has to be a working farm. It has to be making money in agriculture in order to get this prestigious title. And it's a clever way that the Italian society or government is letting small family farms kind of um, make ends meet by renting rooms and being in this agriturismo trade. I know with Isabella and Carlo, who run Crietole, it's a week-long stay. Did you stay for about a week there, Martha? We did, um, and part of the joy beyond the wonderful food and the wonderful friendship and exploring the produce of the farm was the entry into Pienza and their introduction to the artists um, and mm. to the history and the walk that was uh, just mind-blowing, where they took us into a cave that was on their farm that was discovered a few years ago. It had been a cave where cattle had been or staying, and they cleaned it out, Carlo cleaned it out, and they discovered this beautiful carved altar with a Madonna and mm. child. And then you go beyond this into a, further into the cave, and you discovered Etruscan carvings on the wall of a hermit's cave, and you, you realize that there's so much history still there. Mm. And to discover it with the people whose land it is, makes it more than a history or an art lesson. It really becomes going back in time mm. and experiencing it with them, which I don't think you would get as a tourist in a hotel. If there's something about being with the families and exploring yeah. their life with them that opens you up to new experiences. Yeah, we've got another friend in, in Tuscany who's or in outside of Orvieto who's uh, got a farm and Cecilia uh, and, and the uh, Botai family. And in their kitchen, there's a like a magical door. I thought it was just to a pantry, but it goes down <laughs> into, down the stairs, into this subterranean world of passageways that go back, probably back to ancient times. Thousands of years. Yeah, yeah. and mm. they're stacked with bottles of wine Even that better. the family has made. <laughs> Even <should> better. Be. <laughs> uh, you know, Martha, you're talking about Pienza, P-I-E-N-Z-A. It's a town famous for its architecture. Uh, Anna, you've got your, your Ph.D. in Italian art history. Tell us about Pienza. What's so important about it? Well, Pienza um, is a town actually named after Pope Pius II, who was Pope in the 15th century. And he had this idea of making the ideal town made to measure for man. And so he was from nearby Corsignano. And then he was a real Renaissance man, actually, but from Siena. So he brought a Florentine architect in to design this ideal town. And it's a perfect balance between nature 
and man, architectural perfection and the beauty of God's land as well. Humanism. Hu- exactly. That is humanism. I love humanism. Yes. It's the greatest thing about the yes. 1500s and the Renaissance and all that. And actually, so the town itself is is lovely, as, as Martha will attest, and the food is delicious, and mm. we won't even get into the arts, <laughs> but the views of the entire Val d'Orcia and the relationship yeah. that man w- was and is still able to have with nature, and that's actually why it's one of, uh, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site, not just Pienza, but the entire Val d'Orcia, where it's located. Wasn't that the famous scene in uh, Gladiator? <laughs> yes, the when, Elysian yeah. Field. Oh, man. Was that Russell Crowe, right? Coming, yes. Walking through the field, brushing his hands yes. against the wheat or the grain, and coming home. Yes. And I got to walk right over that, and it's just <laughs> down below Pienza. And yes. I just thought, man, this is so beautiful. Carlo takes you on that walk, Rick. <laughs> Carlo. Oh, Carlo's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's an early that's, morning walk. Your Russell Crowe moment. And they walk mm. you along that path. Nice. Martha, thanks for your call and thanks for those memories. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Anna Piperato and Karen Kibbe. We're talking about Tuscany, a beautiful, beautiful part of Italy. Our phone number is 877-333-7425. And calling from Washington, D.C. is Anne. Anne, thanks for calling. Yes, another Ashley, Anna. Anna Maria. Anna, Anna Maria. And what a delight to chat with you. My better half and I are actually moving to the Florence area. We both love it. And my family is actually, I feel like a traitor because my family's from the Venice area in particular. <laughs> but as we go to visit, obviously we're looking at various properties and have our mind kind of set on certain areas and small villages. What tips do you have for us to help us experience the daily life and traditions in the small villages, areas around Florence? Because we're not necessarily going as tourists. We're also looking at it as becoming our permanent home. Wow. Well, these uh, two women have both uh, moved into Tuscany and seem to be enjoying it. What what, what would you advise somebody like Anne who's thinking about uh, doing the same thing? Well, um... First of all, do, do you speak Italian? Very poorly, enough that I wouldn't share it on air. <laughs> <laughs> well, the main thing is to get speaking and to start talking to local people, even if it's just going to the same bar for your morning, you know, mm-hmm. cafe or cappuccino and your, your breakfast, and just, you know, maybe trying to find a, a language course, getting to, or do a language exchange, you know, with people who want to learn English, and really mm-hmm. just get involved in your local community. If you, if you go to church, go to service. If mm-hmm. you, just to become involved somehow in the community, as you would do here. You can't just live in your house and, like, look out the window. You've got to be a part of where you are. And in places like Tuscany, I would imagine there's two worlds of expats, those who hang yes. out with other expats and don't learn the language, uh, and mm-hmm. those who really immerse themselves in the community. It's yes. not right or wrong, but if, no, if you want just... to connect with the community, pretty clearly you need to do it in their language. Exactly. All right. Correct. Karen, Correct. any ideas also? You've done a, a great job of... Uh, diving right into Livorno. I think that Anna actually said exactly what I was thinking in terms of going to the same coffee shop Mm. every day, uh, having your, what we call a flying coffee, where you (laughs) stand at the counter and you just sort of throw your espresso back and check out the newspaper headlines is really important because as soon as they've seen you for about four or five days in a row, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they realize you're serious. They'll recognize (laughs) you. They'll know what kind of coffee you want. Yes. (laughs) And you can... 
ask people, uh, you know, what, are, what do they like to do in the villages around and, and stay up on, on what's going on, like the sagras. And, mm-hmm. and that's where you find mm-hmm. the villages that people aren't going to as tourists. They're going for an event. Yeah, get yourself invited. All right. And <laughs> good luck, Anne. That sounds like an adventure for you and your husband. Oh, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Okay. Bon, how do you say good luck? Bon, uh, uh, bon, bon fortuna. It, no, bon you say in bocca lupo, in the mouth of the wolf. Crepi lupo. Oh. In the mouth of the wolf. In the, the mouth wolf. of the wolf. And the response would be, may the wolf die. die which okay. is very hard for me to say because I'm a okay. she-wolf in L- Siena. Let me hear you say that to Karen and Karen answer then. Okay. Karin, in bocca lupo. Crepi lupo. <laughs> There you go, and that's your first Italian lesson. <laughs> Thank you so much. Language courses are needed. Yes. Okay, take care. Bye. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been venturing from Pupolonia all the way to Siena. We're talking about great cuisine, great palio horse races, medieval banquets. And we're talking with Anna Piperato and Karen Kibbe. I could talk all day about Tuscany. It's so great to have you guys here. I, let's just close off this little travel fantasy with a favorite meal from Tuscany. I'll, I'll start off because I, we we're talking about agriturismos and I stayed in the farm of a woman named Signora Gori and I'll never forget the, it was the, like the complete experience. We, she walked us proudly through her farm. She picked up the sheep and, and hugged it and I remember the, the hay was in the air and the sun was coming through the hay and it would give everything a glow and we could hear the squealing of the pigs in the in the in the butcher house up on the hill. And she goes, "That's our own little Beirut," she said. And uh, that night we sat down at the dinner table, and we were in this classic living room, surrounded by portraits of all Signor Gori's ancestors through the generations, going back a couple hundred years. And we had this wonderful pecorino cheese, this wonderful prosciutto, all right on the farm, a zero-kilometer meal, the most beautiful wine. And I just thought. This is really good living, and this is living that a traveler can can share. And I was sitting there with the family, the, the little girl next to me, the, the little kids, they only like their spaghetti bianco, right, just a butter and, and oil or something like that, and she was learning how to twist it on her fork. And it was just the most marvelous experience, and it was part of budget travel for a traveler who will venture out there and get to know the people by staying with a family on a farm. That's the kind of experience you can have in Tuscany. Karen, what's an experience, what's a meal that brings back memories for you in Tuscany that a traveler could enjoy? So I think if you're traveling along the coast, since that's what I've been talking about, around the town of Livorno, the most important thing is to eat fish-based dishes and uh, octopus. Mm. Uh, that is really one of our favorite things, and it freaks people out a little bit, <laughs> uh, but you got to try it. It's really delicious. And in Livorno, we eat a dish called cacciuco, which is a fish-based, uh, tomato-based stew, uh, with all kinds of fish in it. And tomatoes first came into Italy through the port town of Livorno, or it's one of the first places. So this is a stew with a mix of whatever fish they're catching? Whatever fish they're catching. Some Every family has their own recipe. The name again? A cacciuco. Is the name. And then afterwards, uh, if you are in the area, you can find it anywhere between maybe Pisa, uh, Livorno, along the coast. Uh, We have a special drink called Ponche. (laughs) And Ponche is coffee with rum and a little bit of secret ingredients (laughs) that everybody has after dinner. (laughs) And uh, it makes you feel very local. You've been in Italy a long time because I wish people could see you talking (laughs) with your hands as as you do this. And a piperato. What's a, a food memory that we can close this conversation with? Gosh, well, Tuscany is wonderful because it has every every kind of food imaginable. But I live more inland, and so I agree with you, Rick. Just a, a wonderful fresh pecorino or semi-aged pecorino with some cured meats. 
I'm also a huge fan of anchovies and sardines, these little mm. fish that, are, that go back hundreds of years because mm-hmm. they could be preserved in salt. A nice glass of Chianti to wash it all down mm-hmm. with. And perhaps if it's the right season, you know, hey, our neighbors just, you know, shot a boar. We're going to make some sausages <laughs> and have some peachy with boar sauce. Oh. And I am there. You are there. That's, that's that part of, the, part of the terroir, the soil, yes. the heritage. But it's still simple, and it's yeah, kilometer zero or maybe five in some cases, and right. it's just that that good, hearty, really simple peasant food that goes back hundreds of years. Because this is what well, farmers would eat a lot of uh, bread-based things. So you make your bread for the week, and whatever is left over, you don't waste it. The bread is without salt; it becomes rock hard, and that means that you can it really absorbs all of the different sauces. So if you've got leftover, you know, cannellini beans, you've got some kale, you've got some this, you got some that, you just you know. Tomatoes, mm. thank you, Livorno. Just put it on top of the stale bread, and after you know stewing it for an hour, you've got papa al pomodoro, and it's delicious. You can enjoy the culture in the museums, and the galleries, and the palaces, yes. and in your mouth, yes. the beautiful cuisine, <laughs> and a pepperado. Karen Kibbe, thank you so much, and I'm on my way to Tuscany. <laughs> Grazie mille. Ciao. Rick Steves teaches smart European travel. At ricksteves.com, you'll find an archive of interviews from his radio show, free audio tours of Europe's top sites, and a world of information to help turn your travel dreams into smooth and affordable reality. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.